good afternoon and thank you for joining me again for Business, the Law and You. Julian Campbell here and we've got another interesting show lined up for you this week. A bit later in the program we'll have a look at our Harvard Business Review tip. This particular one is what to say when a conversation heats up. We're also going to be chatting with Christina. We've been talking about uh, some of those innovation wins for the hunter. But right now we're going to have a chat with Gavin Hanrahan, who's a partner with Turnbull Hill Lawyers, going to talk about underpayment of salaried employees. Good afternoon, Gavin. Hello, Julia. Thank you for joining us this week again. Uh, and... Uh, some recent high-profile claims of underpayments by employees are reported to involve salaried employees. So how do you fall foul of the Fair Work Act if you're paying an annualised salary? Uh, Julian, what seems to be happening more and more is that employers are paying an annual salary to their employees and they set that salary and they forget it. Mm. They, don't, they don't seem to actually have a look at what work the employee does, what hours they work, and compare it to any relevant award to make sure that they're meeting the minimum entitlements. So, and, and it's, it's it, fundamentally, an employee must r- receive at least the entitlement they would receive under the award. If they don't, then the employer has fallen foul of the legislation. So, so to, put it, to put it simply, the employers are paying a salary which is insufficient to meet the award entitlements. So, so what if an employee is not covered by an award? Well, the, m- most employees are covered by awards, but certainly there are... Uh, are some occupations that aren't covered by awards. Um, but under the Fair Work Act, there are still minimums. There's a minimum award, oh, there's a minimum award rate. Uh, there are uh, minimum entitlements um, um, to the number of hours that a person can work. Um, so it, it may be that there's a minimum of 38 hours that can be worked, and if you work beyond that, then you may have an entitlement to overtime. So... The non-award employees still have minimums, which you need to ensure that if you're paying a salary, that the salary is at least covering uh, those minimum entitlements. So, so you've mentioned overtime. Is overtime the principal trap for employers? I see overtime as the principal trap. Um, and and it, it also applies... I've mentioned the salaried employees... It also can happen with wage employees where people are paid on an hourly rate uh, or a weekly rate, but the employers have, have a similar philosophy. They just set that weekly rate. They never really look at it, and, and it's insufficient to, to cover the uh, employee's award entitlement. So, so what happens with the overtime is there might be an hourly rate of, say, $30 an hour, uh, which is the, the rate that the employee is being paid, but if they're working... Let's say they're working 45 hours a week, they may have a significant entitlement to overtime because 45 hours per week is at least seven hours of overtime um, above the ordinary hours. And that, to me, seems to be the trap that, is, um, uh, that, that uh, uh, the employers are getting caught by. So uh, what can employers do to uh, minimise their risk? Um, the advice... I give employers 
always compare uh, what you have paid during a pay cycle. So your pay cycle might be a weekly or a fortnightly pay cycle, but compare what you've paid to the employee with what the employee would be entitled to receive pursuant to the award in that pay cycle. And if the amount that you're paying them is less than the amount they're entitled to under the award, then then you need to up the amount you pay them during that so- that pay period to the amount of at least the award to at least the award amount. And if you do that, so you keep you keep your, you keep your records and you keep adjusting as you you may need to, then you shouldn't fall foul um, uh, of, of the Fair Work Ombudsman. Just an off-the-cuff question. With all these larger employees, employers having this issue, uh, and, and is it a problem, real problem for small businesses as well? Yes, it is. Um, but the, the small businesses, um, I think the small businesses, Julie, and I see it more, not so much in the salaried employees, but paying a weekly rate. So they mm. may pay someone $800 a week, but when you do the maths... So, okay, I'll just go back a step. They may pay them eight hundred dollars a week. A lot of employee, a lot of employees work at least forty hours a week. Mm. It's an old, you know, it's it's just forty hours a week. It's yeah. been around for years. The Fair Work Act says you cannot work more than thirty-eight ordinary hours, okay. which means those two hours are overtime. Mm. So you've got to factor those extra two hours in as overtime and make sure that the the amount of pay um, is correct. Now, the first two hours are often of overtime are often at time and a half, and thereafter at double time. Mm. So that's, for the small businesses, it's more to do with the weekly rates, not so much the annual salary, the weekly rates, but it's the same thing. They just set a weekly rate and they forget about it. You can't forget about it. You have to be cognizant of what the worker is actually doing, what your employee is actually working and what their entitlement is under the award and make sure you're paying at least that amount. And I suppose coming up with the Christmas period, uh, employers have really got to be very careful over that period with all sorts of uh, hours being worked. Uh, all, all sorts of what? Sorry, All Julian, sorts I'm of different hours work. being worked over the Christmas uh, period. Yeah, yeah well, look, <laughs> one thing is for sure. The Fair Work Act and the modern awards are, complica- are complicated. Yeah. Uh, or they're complicated documents. Um, trying to understand the awards for a small business person um, would be very difficult. Bigger organisations where they have HR departments, that's, a, that's you know, their yeah. expe- expectations yeah. on them should be greater. But small businesses trying to understand what the payment should be, it, it is not easy, and I'm not trying to suggest it is easy. Mm. Um, so, yes, yes, they need to be very careful because um, there are different loadings that apply for different hours that are worked and... Uh, um, and, uh, uh, you know, different penalty rates and uh, different allowances. So um, if, if, you, if you're doing it correctly, you really need to spend a lot of time understanding what your obligations are under the award. So, yes, Christmas time when there's more hours being worked and varied hours is a more dangerous nice. period. Great. Well, thanks very much for your time, Gavin, and thank you for supporting our program over the last few months. And uh, you have a great Christmas, and we'll have a chat with you or your staff next year. Thank you, Julian. All the best. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Gavin Hanrahan there from Turnbull Hill Lawyers. And, uh, yeah.
be, beware of those awards. As he says, they're not easy. And obviously you might need to seek advice from your lawyer or accountant. You're listening to Business, the Law and You on 2NURFM. Time to pop over and have our chat with Christina. Good afternoon, Christina. Good afternoon, Julian. And we're halfway through December. How's that feel? We're one week left of this show for this year and then uh, when we've got a break. Excellent. So I hope you're going to do something lovely for yourself. No, I'm just going to relax. Just relax. <laughs> Beautiful. So, so we're going to talk about some of those innovation wins for the Hunter. Yeah. Yes, we are. So there were some amazing things that came out of the Hunter this year. Um, the Stroke Helmet actually got lots of recognition this year. Uh, they featured at the um, Singularity U Summit that we held in Sydney in October, uh, and they made quite a remarkable impact. There's several... Um, processes and new projects that potentially have come uh, from that, but we may talk about those more next year. So the stroke helmet is a, is a remarkable um, mm. invention and it's come out of the uh, out of um, Hunter Medical Research Institute, which is wonderful. Uh, another thing that happened, um, driven by the wonderful Jill Emberson, was the pink meets teal um, movement, which, was, which has really gained momentum. Um, and Jill has been a wonderful advocate for women with ovarian cancer. And the whole idea behind pink meets teal is that we now know the figures on early detection with breast cancer mm. uh, and how it can extend lives and how it can save lives. The five-year survival rate, the 10-year survival rate has been increased exponentially. Um, and what is it that we need to do around ovarian cancer? That, so that's where the teal comes in, um, in order for the same results to happen. How do we formulate those tests around early detection. Uh, and it's amazing the sense of people power. Um, so, you know, the D Majors wonderful choir have gotten right behind that and raised money. They um, Jewel went down to Parliament and raised money and, you know, just phenomenal what the power of people is actually able to do now. Mm. Uh, another wonderful thing that um, it didn't take, it, well, it, I, I believe it soared this year. Um, it was introduced, not this year, but the the Hunter IF project and the support that it threw behind the Hunter Innovation Festival this year. So the Hunter Innovation Festival um, grew again, you know, exponentially. There were, it, I think, it almost doubled in events. Um, it was the first time we had a real marketing strategy behind it, a real unification, um, you know, unification around website and everything. And it was due to the to the support, I guess, in, in um, many ways of Hunter If and their ability to connect um, their collaboration methods, the promotion that they managed to give, the pitch that they're organising, the Startup Express, mentor training, investor training. So Hunter If, you know, really got its feet um, this year and has really helped innovation, the innovation ecosystem uh, in the Hunter. Easy Aid, another, another Hunter-grown product, um, has you know, with the help of Design Anthology and the wonderful group, the Newcastle-based group that work out of there, um, has, you know, gone through product iteration, prototype iteration, has now landed on a product and is now talking to several major companies within Australia and outside of Australia. So, you know, a wonderful thing for um, a local organisation or a local invention to, to be able to say, and just cons who um, had Crave, the, the, the Crave app, and won the um, scholarship to go to San Francisco and has had a wonderful, you know, 12 months in San Francisco. She's home now. The development of Crave into Etsy and the whole way that that's developed um, has been wonderful for, you know, another young person in the Hunter who had a fantastic idea and the passion um, and the persistence to chase that idea 
to enter a competition that, you know, at the 11th hour that she she actually thought she had no chance of winning. Um, but, you know, just wonderful things that are coming out of this region. Um, and we really need to pat ourselves on the back, be proud and, you know, have dinner yeah. conversations around what's coming out of the, out of our region. It's, it's great to talk about these wonderful innovations that are coming out of our area. And as you say, it certainly seems to be growing. There's probably hundreds of ones that we haven't heard of. So, you know, it would be always good for people to uh, keep us informed of uh, wonderful innovations that are occurring in the area. That's right. And sometimes, like, I find out about a lot of these things because I go to so many different pitch events and then mm. I follow what the, you know, the end result or we invite them into something, into a Singularity U chapter or, you know, some, something of that ilk. Uh, but you really do. And there's, you know, um, there's wonderful pitch competitions happening around the city and there's, you know, the Lunatics and New Adventures and, and what they're doing at 1804. We have a wonderful ecosystem. We don't shout our praises loud enough. We really need to be saying, you know, aren't we wonderful? Here's the different things that are happening. And, you know, I think Hannah kind of, if are doing a great job of being that collaborative connector um, amongst all the different organisations that are here. Uh, and, you know, the more recognition, as you say, that we can bring to the wonderful things that are coming out of the Hunter, what a way to celebrate and end the year. Yeah, it is. And uh, talking about celebrating the year, next week we're going to have a chat about looking forward for next year. Yeah, so it's always a good time over over Christmas, um, New Year to to not sit down and do too much work because we really all um, need that mental space, that mental break. Mm. But what happens, and we've discussed it on the show before, when you actually take that break and you're not intensely focused on something and you're letting all the things that you've learnt, um, you know, travel around travel around the brain or travel around our consciousness, um, what happens? We we often have aha moments in those downtimes because mm. we've allowed our brains to settle and we've allowed those dots to connect. So what we're going to talk about next week is how potentially to, to do that. listen to that space yeah, yeah. and settle um, and come up with some aha moments. Great. Well, have, have a good week and we'll have a chat with you next week. Look forward to it, Julian. Have a great week. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Christina there with those yeah, great innovations from the Hunter, aren't they? And you're listening to Business, the Law and You on 2NURFM. Time for our Harvard Business Review tip, this particular one, what to say when a conversation heats up. When a conversation turns negative, it's helpful to have a repertoire of replies at your fingertip. So consider these options. Firstly, reframe. Cast the issue in a different light. If someone says, I don't want to fight about this, a useful reframe is, this is a debate, certainly not a fight. Or you could rephrase. Rather than letting offensive words pass, suggest replacements. If someone accuses you of coming on too strongly in a meeting, you might reply, I was passionate. If you're described as stubborn, you could say, I'm very determined when something is important to successful effort. Thirdly, you could revisit. If you had a positive interactions with the person in the past, remind them of their ability to find common ground. We have a good track record of working together. No reason to change that now. And finally, restate. Give people a chance to reconsider and alter what was said. Surely there's another way to say that. Those are some interesting points. We do often have those heated conversations sometimes. 
Well, thank you for being with me for the last half hour. I hope you've enjoyed the program. We've looked at those underpayments of salaried employees and some of those hunter innovations. In a moment, Jane Klein will be back with you with more of your easy listening favourites. Next week, Kimberly Claire Campbell, a digital advisor at the Hunter Region Business Hub, will question if your business is keeping up with digital changes. We'll have that minute on innovation with Christina and some more business and legal news and views that might affect your business. I'd love your company again for Business, the Law and You at the same time next week. Until then, have an exciting and prosperous week. And as Ralph Walder Emerson once said, the only person you can you are destined to become is the person you decide to be. <laughs>